Alright, here we go. Welcome to Acres of Diamonds. This is actually the first time we're going to talk about the Acres of Diamonds program in total. And we're going to talk to a real live student graduate of Acres of Diamonds, Miss Annie Coughlin. Oh, you got the last Coughlin. name wrong. Coughlin. Coughlin. No, That's I okay. think you have it wrong. <laughs> Can we? Do you have your parents on speed dial? Can we talk to them? Well, actually, my dad's deaf, so we can't call him. Oh, that's, oh I that think we could, probably could. I, 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 we, <laughs> you didn't. You didn't learn enough in Acres of Diamonds if you think we can't talk to your dad. We could oh, somehow we communicate could. with him. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Annie, trust Annie. me. All right. Trust me. Well, I talked to Marcus, so I'm assuming you can talk to your dad occasionally. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, so yes. he may not answer right away, right? But, right, uh, I have ways. But yes, I, there. I, I talk. I mm -hmm. talk to Marcus. So I so. meant deaf, not dead. What? Deaf. What? Deaf. No, I can't hear you. What? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so it's Andy Coughlin. Coglin. Coglin. Yeah. Are you sure? I um, thought you just said it was Coughlin. It's Irish. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Like, like a hard G. Coglin. Coglin. That's funny. Yeah. All right. From like, uh, you ever watch the movie Cocktail? With Tom Cruise? No. You might want to watch it. I think there's a special interest to you there. Really? Yep. Oh. All right. So, DJ, was she a good student or a bad student? She was a good student. I will what, say that. What prompted what prompted the Acres of Diamonds interest? I mean, you've been part of it for years, and mm -hmm. so how did this actually come to fruition? Well, so Annie and I were fortunate enough to meet each other through work, and her office actually got moved right next to mine, so we became like naturally really good friends. And one of the days, so we we got to learn more about each other outside of work. You know, what what do you like? Do you have any other hobbies? Whatever, and. Annie had a uh, had a part-time job, and so she would tell me, oh, I, you know, here's what I did t this night, or here's what I had for dinner, whatever it may be. And one of the days she came in, and it was, I think it was a particular week, you were a little stressed out. Mm. You were you're having a, yeah. uh, maybe a rough week or so. And I could tell, like, visually, like, look, walking in, looking, she looked like she was tired. She looked like she wasn't that energetic. Yeah. And it made sense after she explained her previous night. And so one of the days I was talking to her, and she was, because we became good friends, I had mentioned the Acres of Diamonds program to her. And one of the days she goes, Deej, I think right now I'm your biggest Acres of Diamonds yes, project. I and I, I was sitting there and I, I had just kind of gotten involved with it with Cody and, and was about to probably start getting involved with it with Jack. And I was like, all right, let's go through it together then. I kind of just threw caution to the wind. And I uh, didn't necessarily know how it was going to go, but I was like, let's, let's do this together. Like, you let's... didn't know how it was going to go because she seemed like a remedial student? I, I didn't necessarily, I didn't know, I didn't really have anything to judge off of, like from a previous experience necessarily. And you didn't hold it against her that she didn't know how to pronounce her last name? Nope, didn't, nope, didn't hold that, too? no. Yeah, we have no, no barriers to entry. Okay, <laughs> we don't discriminate? No, yeah, no, there's no discrimination. That's great. Yeah. So, Annie, how much of that story is true? Were you, uh, were you an Acres of Diamonds candidate, and why, from your perspective? Oh, yeah. Was I ever? Um, gosh, where to begin? Um, after graduation from college, um, things kind of got really tough for me. And why are you smiling, DJ? I'm not smiling. You are. I'm not smiling. Um, I'm always smiling. And 
Um, Tough how? Well, um, it was finding a job. It was dealing with student loans. It was living with my mom. It was trying to figure everything out, which is what I've been trying to do since I was little. And it was all sure. happening at once. And it was all happening at once. Right. And um, I was so concerned about making money and paying my bills and how am I going to do this. I was just an anxious mess. And um, I definitely needed to get out of that mindset so I could make some progress in but my life. I, get, I don't understand how. what made you, I mean, were you joking when you said that to DJ or were you at this point... You had, had you heard enough about his thinking that you were like, all right, give me some of that. I was probably <laughs> semi-joking right. with him yeah. at the time, mm -hmm. um, but I didn't think it was going to manifest in us, actually. So so you guys then, you, you so she makes a joke, you say, well, joke's on you, we're doing it. We're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And like, how did you do it? You did the six modules, right? But where and when? So basically we... Uh, Annie would, Annie and I, since we worked right next to each other, we would talk each week and say, all right, when are you free? Where do you want to do it? And that was something that I wanted to make sure she dictated when she wanted to meet. Sometimes we met Sunday morning, so I, you know, it wasn't going out Saturdays uh, for, for a couple, for a month or so to, to respect Annie's Sorry. time. And, uh, no, that's okay. It was worth it. And, um, <laughs> and so she necessarily dictated when, and then we met at the, Pittsburgh Starbucks because right. Annie's from Pittsburgh. Because the, Hil the Hilton Starbucks wasn't open. Yeah, the Hilton one was closed <laughs> for a, for a really long time. Had, before tonight, yeah, had, had Annie ever actually been outside of Pittsburgh, Fairport, or west of the Genesee River? The Genesee River. Um, maybe when I was young and in a car seat <laughs> yeah, being okay. taken just, somewhere. Just checking. So this is go. a big day for you. Yeah. you slumming this here is. in Hilton doing a pod podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I All was right. actually, I was driving here and looking around like I was a tourist. Oh, very, look, very look nice. at these types of houses. Little right. shout out to Blue Barn Cider. Yes. She, she did mention that she saw that on the mm -hmm. way and she's looking forward to it on her way home apparently. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I almost stopped off there. I was like, no, I have to go there. I have to be professional. <laughs> All right. So you guys... Uh, did it at the Pittsburgh Starbucks. At the, the, Pittsburgh the Starbucks. library Starbucks. Yes, yes. correct. Okay. The library Starbucks, gotcha. where we've had a couple meetings. So sure. um, it was we would find little little nooks and crannies in, in Starbucks and just kind of start talking. And some of the sessions, every session at least was two hours. At least, yeah. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm curious, Annie. So yeah. That's a lot of time. It was. Hours. So that's more than, so maybe she was a remedial student. Yeah, she, yeah. it was, and initially I remember when I, when we started thinking of this, I was like, an hour should be good to get through these five questions or these five deep life skills. But as I've gone through the program with people and with the, with our students, I've realized that an hour is not even close to enough Yeah, and, and I'll tell you what, I'm finding the same thing. Yeah. Um, especially early, mm -hmm. especially early because... People are, it's almost like they've been waiting to talk to somebody about this stuff yeah. and didn't know it, and now they're getting all excited. So culture, talk to me, Annie, about, or talk to us about mm -hmm. the culture one. What uh, what did you end up saying your culture was and why? Was that the first one? Yeah, yeah. that was the first one. Okay. Um, okay, so we talked about personal culture, and I think for me what I discovered was that my personal culture was all about 
uh, being a hard worker and having good work ethic, which um, there are pros and cons to that. Um, Did you know that at the time? Yes, but making making the change is is a whole other right. whole other beast. Sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, work ethic is critical, right? I mm-hmm. mean, th- this whole bullshit about um, work smarter, not harder. I mean, it's complete bullshit. We have to do both, right? Yeah. And But so how did it, how did working hard negatively impact you? Um, so, you know, everyone would say, oh, well, you're young. You can, you know, do all that work. You can mm-hmm. pump 70 hours a week and be fine. Um, but in reality, I was, I was not fine. It was, you know, impacting my psyche. And, um, actually a couple weeks ago I had kind of a health scare. Um, because even though you are young, um, you have limits. And, um, that's when I kind of realized that I need to make a, a serious change here. Gotcha. Gotcha. So what did, uh, what did you settle on as far as the culture or personal philosophy that you're kind of wed to now? Um, that I'm just naturally a worker bee. Gotcha. I would agree with that, too. So what, there was a story that you told me, DJ, about when you asked her that, it, or pointed, she pointed to something yeah. on her sheet, or she pointed to something online, or said, that's well, me. Well, there was, um, there was the one story where, in, in the culture module, it says, what is, what's a moment in your life that defined who you were? Right. And that was a story you told about when you were at the volunteer center. Oh yeah. I mean, Carl. that story I told it and I told you this, I told that to coach Gibbs the next day and we were both got emotional in Dunkin Donuts, like two dudes crying in the corner. <laughs> I mean, it was such, that story was so powerful. I've never, I mean, the way you told it and I could tell when you were telling it, it meant something to you. It was raw. It was painful. It was real. And that was what the feeling that I love to see when people are going through this program. What was the story? Okay, I'll tell it. Um, my junior year of high school, um, I went to the Harley School, and they had a um, they had a program. Um, actually, it's senior year. Um, they had a a program. Once you got to your senior year, um, you could uh, start this hospice class, and then. After the class, you would actually you know, have a couple of hours per week, and you would go out into the community, and you were assigned to a, um, a hospice home, hospice residence uh, somewhere um, in Rochester. And um, so I took advantage of that, and I decided to take that, um, that class. And I went through my senior year doing that, and then um, I decided to take a gap year in between high school and college. So I continued... Um, doing that um, before starting at RIT, but um, I, I met a, a very special uh, guy who, who was a resident. Um, this was the Isaiah House um, in Rochester, the city of Rochester, and um, his name was Carl, and we immediately just clicked, and he was just one of those people that, uh, you know, I'll, I'll always remember. And um, I wanted to make sure that I was there, uh, for him when he passed. Um, and I got a text message from, uh, a family member that I had then, 
gotten very close to one of his family members. And um, it was um, it was a morning, and um, I believe this was still senior year because I remember thinking I, I don't want to go into school because I want to go mm-hmm. over to the to the house because he's going to die this morning. So um, I went ahead and I called my um, hospice teacher and I said, uh, Carl is going to die this morning and I want to be there. He said, okay. And uh, I drove over there and sure enough, he was um, probably about two hours away from the moment and um i just kind of crawled up on the on the bed with him and uh we about an hour or so went by and you know kind of up and down we're waiting for it to happen the breathing is changing you can see his body changing and you're starting to see all the signs of yeah this is going to happen any minute now so i just felt compelled to sit with him on the bed and I just knew it was going to be minutes. So I put my hand on his chest and he's doing that very, uh, slow breathing where it would pause for about 30 seconds or so. And then he would take another breath. And, uh, I kept telling him, you're safe to go. Everything's fine. Go. It's okay. And, um, they always tell you in the class that, you know, sometimes people often don't die when people that they love are in the room um, just because they don't want to burden them with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was wondering, like, am I doing the right thing? Is he is he comfortable with me being here? Um, but I just felt um, that it was okay. Um, it's just some sort of unspoken thing, I guess. Um, so... The, the time between the breaths is getting longer. And um, I see him take his final breath, and my hand is on his chest. And I, I go, that was the last one. And I said to Nancy, um, his family member, I said, he's gone. And we cried. And, um, but it was such, it's an honor to be there when someone dies. Um, for them to um, feel comfortable enough to to have that moment with you. Um, But the story goes on. um, Right after that, he immediately, from head to toe, broke out in goosebumps. And uh, it was not something that I had heard about in classes as to what to expect. Um, And we asked the nurses, is this something that happens? Mm -hmm. And... uh, I go, no, we've, we've never seen that before. No way. And, uh, ooh, I just got confused. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I just thought to myself, God, whatever he saw must have been so awesome wow. that he got goosebumps. I forget. So I remember this story now. I, yeah. I didn't remember that, but I remember that part. Yeah. Wow. Hmm. Told me that in Starbucks. That wasn't fair. And I was. Yeah, that's not nice. I mean, I was getting emotional when she was telling me it, and I was like, hey, I can't just be bawling my eyes out in Starbucks. <laughs> like, that was. Apparently, you can. I mean, yeah. yeah, I broke that barrier. But Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. So, how does that fit into your culture? So, that's not hard work. What is that? Yeah. Um, people would always ask me, you know, how how can you do that? How can yeah. you be around people who are, who are right. dying? Um, 
I wish I, there's a lot of things that I've experienced where it's like, I, I don't really have the answer as to why I can do that or why I want to do that. I, I just know that I can and that I should. And, um, yeah. I should introduce you to my mother. She's, mm. she's really, really similar. She has a huge compassion and empathy gene. Um, That's the word. So we both I was going to say other. it. I, d- I was waiting. Yeah, so she's, first, you know, DJ's culture is libraries and weight rooms. My, my mother's culture is probably people and compassion, right? Something like that, or humor yeah. and compassion, um, humor and empathy, something mm-hmm. along those lines. And so yours, your kind of work ethic and compassion or work ethic and empathy, is empathy. that? Empathy, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that was one of the, it was the roles module actually we were talking about what is a a role that is important for you to to master to get good at and annie said the empathetic leader and so she had combined the the term leader which we're both very passionate about with empathy and i'd never heard in my life somebody say those two words together an empathetic leader i've heard people say leader and i've heard people say oh this person is empathetic or they show empathy Mm -hmm. But I've never heard somebody say, I want to be an empathetic leader. And so when she said that and thinking about the story she had told about Carl, I said, now I know exactly why she was there. She was being an empathetic leader. Right. And right. so it all it all made sense. And I remember when she had initially said that, I, I was trying to connect it to my own personal life. Like, am I an empathetic leader? Or are, are you an empathetic leader? Um, and that was interesting because I it was something so new that I hadn't really thought of all right applying empathy with leadership I guess leadership is is well, what do you think are you an empathetic leader I think I am I, I think I am the more I you, thought you about better, it you better be you have to be I, I, this, quite candidly if yeah. I didn't think you were you wouldn't be sitting it, exactly so. <laughs> and so but I just had never put the word empathy in front of leader yeah. and so but it's totally necessary now the more I thought about it yeah, so I, I think, you know, we've talked in other podcasts about Rich Lapani. Mm-hmm. I, I think um, yeah. I think one of his one of his finer attributes is empathetic leader. Mm. And you're right, we don't put those words together much, but I think um, I think and this is not necessarily on topic, but I think it's an important segue. Um, leadership has changed since the smartphone was introduced and since uh, the industrial age has turned into the information age or knowledge age, right? We were talking offline about how Google makes our lives so much easier, right? That we're all smart as each other because of Google. So therefore, then what's going to take over in the workplace is empathetic leadership. And females are inherently suited better Mm. to be empathetic leaders. So a female with strong empathy but a strong male energy is going to do very, very well in the next era of leadership. People like you, DJ, that are strong male energy but also have a very strong female energy, which meaning compassion and empathy, Mm -hmm. will also do very well um, because we need to be able to hug our people Mm -hmm. when they deserve hugs, and candidly, we need to be able to tune them up and slap them figuratively Mm -hmm. slap them around a bit when they need to be slapped around, right? And um, traditionally, men have been raised to just do the slapping around. And traditionally, female have been raised to do all the nurturing. That's, it's not going to cut it. 
you can't be one or the other anymore. You have to be both, and you have to be situational. So situational leadership is a term that's been thrown around with servant leadership. Um, servant leadership is real similar, I think, to what we're calling empathetic mm -hmm. leadership here today. But that's awesome. That is really spectacular. Yeah. Yeah, so I always, I always thought growing up I was going to get into, like, the medical field. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. I thought I was right. going to always, sure. you know, you know be in a role of taking care mm -hmm. of people and then it kind of uh turned out not to go that route yeah uh right yeah right seriously i mean yeah. seriously yeah. who knows right if that's yeah. i mean that's a very unique attribute you have yeah. right and a, a lot of people don't like like to do it and you're good at it yeah <laughs> very good and i I, right. I can totally vouch for that with people coming to you needing something something from you and you saying, oh, don't worry, like, I'll help you with this, I'll help you with that. That's an empathetic role, whereas some people, you know, we were talking about someone right before this, we won't mention names, but they won't, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's their time. Whereas if somebody comes to you, it's like, yes, I'll, I'll help you with this real quick. Yeah. So that is, so I, I want to dig into that a little bit. So you mentioned how work ethic can work against you, right? When you, when it's all about, uh, talk to me about how, a strong work ethic coupled with a strong empathy or compassion attribute can manifest itself poorly? Um, that's a great question. Um, at least for me, um, I often give way too much of myself, mm -hmm. too right. much of my time, too much of my energy. And this is so for everybody out there that, you know, um, has this, and there's a lot that have a strong work work ethic and a, a need to please, a need to be compassionate, a need to be empathetic. The person that suffers most in that scenario is you, mm -hmm. right? So self-care has to be, you have to be intentional and deliberate about your self-care yep. and protecting your boundaries, knowing that your greatest strength, those two attributes, will manifest themselves as your greatest weakness if you don't protect yourself. Right, so there's a saying out there. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take care of me, so I can take care of you. Mm -hmm. Right, so that's a great guiding principle for a person with your personality attributes. Right, you right. need to really be intentional and deliberate about that, because yeah. you're no good if you're no good. Right. <laughs> to to back up that point, I always think too, if you're ever on a plane, and they always say when if the plane's going down, you always are supposed to put your ox your oxygen mask on first before you help anybody else out. And that's a perfect and, analogy and yes. guiding principle for you. Yeah. 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 Cool. Um, so culture, connection, uh, you did roles. We did, uh, yeah. And then we did, so we did toughness. So we went culture, oh, connection, toughness. I want to hear about toughness This was the one, this yeah. was the one with the answer that was, that was, um, we had never heard before. And we've asked a lot of people this question because it is, a question that people, I think, answer wrong. You know, are, are you tough? Or who's the toughest person you know? You immediately think physical. You don't necessarily think mental. Um, By the way, remind me, after we hear Annie's version about the the, the, the military guy that just did a plank for eight hours straight. Yes. And his, and his answer, his answer about how he made it happen. Okay. All right, yeah. go ahead, Annie. I want to hear this. So what about toughness? What do you know about <laughs> yeah, toughness? Yeah. What do you think about toughness? What's a little girl like you going to tell me about toughness? <laughs> uh, so my, my answer to that question, um, the toughness question, um, who's the toughest person that you know? And without hesitation, yeah. I wrote down me. 
in big letters. Exclamation <coughs> points. Really? Yeah. Wow. So what what prompted you to write that down? Well, I mean, I know I'm not the toughest person in the world, and there are plenty of tough people out there that I know, too. Um, but I know... <coughs> you okay? Yeah, sorry. <clears throat> Still choked up about the other story I had. <laughs> <coughs> Um, <clears throat> what was I saying, DJ? You're the you toughest know. person on the face of the earth. Ah, uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I've just, I've overcome plenty of things in my life, and there are people who have overcome a heck of a lot worse. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that the only person that I can rely on 100% is me, and I always come through. For me, every single time. That is that's, that was pretty cool. I, I'm glad I'm hearing this answer in person because that, that is was an awesome good. answer. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we've never and we t- we've talked about toughness together oh, yeah. probably for six or seven years now, mm-hmm. and never heard that answer. No, mm-hmm. never. That's spectacular. Yeah. Thanks. That was that was pretty. What what, would she, what was her answer about mental toughness versus physical toughness? I think she answered that right correctly immediately. And she actually, <clears throat> I remember this pretty vividly. She brought up the fact of emotional toughness. You remember totally that? Like, oh my god! Because I had never that? heard that term before, too. And so, basically, what she did was she associated mental toughness with emotional toughness. And so, if we say the word emotion, I think of love. I think of my heart beating. I think of being sad. I think of being scared. And then to attach that to mental toughness, I think. Essentially, it was almost a solution to all of those things I just, I just mentioned, and so, so she brought up the term emotional toughness, and we we dug into that, and I was, it was just a new term that I guess could almost be interchangeable. I I really like that too. Yeah. So we have a empathetic leadership and emotional toughness to add to our library. Yes. Right, and I think they do both speak, at least to me. I, mm-hmm. I like both of them a lot. Yeah. I never heard them. Put mm-hmm. together like that. You're a lot smarter than you look. <laughs> you got that going um, for you. Thank you. <clears throat> yeah, that's a compliment. Okay. There's, and somewhere in there, that's somewhere. a compliment. <laughs> wow. I had no idea. I don't think I'd heard the emotional toughness one before. That's that's spectacular. And the, the program brought all of this out of her. Right. I mean, imagine if, if you know she would have said, I'm your biggest Acres of Diamonds project. And I was like, oh, all right, sounds good. And we, that was it. And right. we never got to this point of, us learning about emotional toughness, us learning about the story of, of Carl, us learning about the empathetic leader, mm-hmm. things like that where, you know, Annie's a, a great example of we have these awesome terms that and beliefs and mindsets within us that if nobody asks us about them, we may never right. talk about them. Sure. Yeah, and to piggyback off of that, it, it, when I was filling out all of the sheets, mm-hmm. I was shocked at how quickly everything came to me. Really? And it's like, so I I knew this already? <laughs> yeah. Right. But yeah. How, how am I not, like, huh? It kind of connects to us saying that everybody everybody has this this urge or these these beliefs that, that they they might not necessarily know how to get out. 
and we say all the time, you know, other people sometimes extract our diamonds before we do. Right. People believe in us before <clears throat> we do ourselves. So when you hand someone these worksheets of these questions that are specifically designed to have you answer something that you already have the answer to, mm -hmm. but it's asked in a very unique way, you should be able to answer it pretty quickly. So this is, this is the fundamental premise of strong coaching, mm -hmm. right? So strong coaches go in with the inherent belief that everyone has greatness within them. Acres of Diamonds is built on, look, you have, you have diamonds within you. It's our job to uncover them, polish them, and show them to the world. Mm -hmm. Right, and that's what happened with Annie. It sounds like, and mm -hmm. uh, what a, what a great story. So, um, love. What what uh, what was the love conversation like? The love conversation. This one was interesting because this was the first time I was talking about love to a girl, to a female. And so I was curious how... You know, girl and female are different. Yeah, well, the, I know. Female is the, the proper <laughs> okay. way to say it. Synonymous? Um, yeah. Okay. This, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, but it was... Uh, I think the, the main thing I got from that was your two younger brothers. I mean, and, and you can see she's lighting up already yeah. when you wow. say it. Her whole body changed. Yeah. yeah. Those, <laughs> were, uh, those were her dudes. And... When I, we consistently talked, I mean, we, we talked about family love. We talked about, about personal love, you know, a little bit of self-talk and things along those natures. But when, when we said, and I remember the one story you said, you know, what was the moment that you felt the most loved in your life? And it was when you got your wisdom teeth out yeah. and you woke up and everybody was sitting around the, the bed. So I remember, wow. I remember these, I remember these so vividly because I, I'm so interested in everything that people say around this stuff but yeah that that story my um my parents are divorced um and uh i i got my wisdom teeth out and my dad took me and brought me back to my apartment and um i wasn't feeling so hot obviously <laughs> so you know i he kind of puts me to bed and uh he leaves and then i i'm napping pretty hard and um like two hours later i wake up and I see my mother and my father and my sister, like the nuclear family, together <laughs> um, on my bed, which would not be something that I think I'll ever see again. Right. You know? Sure. Um, so I woke up and I was like, man, they love me so much. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. That was cool. I love it. <laughs> All right, so we finished up the Acres of Diamonds program, yeah. right? Yes. And I I remember there was an event where you had to cross something out. What? <laughs> so what was? Why does it have Annie tell that that story? So tell them about Annie's troubles. <laughs> oh, did I think I sent you some sort of? I sent you like a, a word doc. Yeah, it was like seven. It was like seven or eight. In an, e in an email or something, seven or eight yeah, of your an, that's troubles. Right. It was an email, it was, it was okay. an email troubles. that you sent him saying, all right, these are things bugging me or yeah. something. Yes, and, yeah, and I titled yeah. it Annie's Troubles. Correct. And this was just just before we actually officially started. Right, Correct. it sounded like the cat, like this was part of the catalyst to, okay, this is why we mm -hmm. are going to do the program. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, so DJ decided to print out this email, and he brought it with him to the first meeting that we had and kept it with him throughout each meeting. And um, 
for every meeting that we had, he made me cross out one or two of those troubles that I had listed. So um, it was very impactful, DJ. Yeah. And what, sure. did you, what did you do at the end? <clears throat> what, did you, what did I make you do at the end? The last thing, as you crossed out the last one, did you do anything to the paper? Yes, I ripped it. You ripped it up. I, sh- into a, I shredded it completely. shredded it up. And then yeah. you put it in your computer bag. I put it in my computer bag. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and it all fell out one day because I forgot <laughs> it was all in there. Good. So your troubles all like, fell my away. My troubles are just on the floor. <laughs> That's awesome. No longer troubles anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to me what's happened. Uh, so you got rid of all the troubles, um, or you worked through them anyway to, yes. to your satisfaction. It sounds like Coach Ligori's satisfaction as well. What... No um, so then what? Then um, DJ did a lot for me um, in terms of um, giving me the positivity and the support that I needed. I, I, so, had, so I'm going to stop you there because yeah. this is important. Okay. It was in there. Yeah. You, you'd already mm-hmm. said it was in there, right? You yeah. had it. This is what we all, we, we're really trying to help people understand that you have it in there. To your point, you haven't been asked about it in a long time, mm-hmm. right? DJ and I have a number of leaders in our lives that believed in us more than we believed in ourselves, and that changed us. Mm-hmm. Similar to you, right? It's been a while since it sounds like that somebody really reminded you of the greatness inherent within you. Yeah, and and that, that was exciting. Mm-hmm. It's exciting, right? And that so then you're out, you're you're flying, so it's all you, right? right? Just someone re- helping remind you. So then what happened? Then, I think, I don't remember exactly what session it was, but I, it had come out of me, and I had said to you uh, that, like, greatness or good things happen to me when I am content and calm. Um, We had talked a lot about, Mm. you know, being positive and having a lot of positivity and being up and excited and and while that's true for me to some extent um i always noticed that when i was almost like at peace with something or just content or okay and i felt like i didn't there wasn't that um that panic and that fear once i got rid of that that's when all the good stuff would come in. So I started on the interview process to find myself a better paying job so that I could um, change you know, my quality of life. And um, I said to myself, well, I have a job. I have health insurance. It's okay. I'm fine. I have a great apartment. Um, I'm taken care of. So I'm just Instead of going into the process of, into the interview process in, in the mindset of, I need to get this job. I have to get this job. I don't know what I'm going to do. That whole, mm-hmm. that spiral that I would go down. And, you know, in the past I'd go to interviews and I'd be so worked up and uh, just not in the right space. Um, but I approached it um, this time around being like, it's, I'm okay either way. Right. Mm-hmm. And if I go in there and I don't get the job, 
I'm okay. Right. And um, so I just started the process and I would kind of almost get a little bit excited before the interview, which is, you know, very odd for me. Um, and all of a sudden I, you know, get like two job offers, <laughs> you know, in like two weeks. And um, literally my life changed in like a matter of, of days, really. And so I, I want to be very clear why you yeah. you changed. Yes. Right? You, your thoughts changed. That meant your emotions changed. You just told us how your thoughts changed your emotions, made you calm, cool, collected, instead of nervous and anxious. Yes. And then your behavior changed in the interview. And yes. your outcome changed, right? So it's a very linear, universal law that thoughts create mm -hmm. emotions, that create behaviors, that create outcomes. Yeah. And you now understand that you're more a creator of your life versus a victim of your life, yes. right? And that's a huge recognition in today's culture. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really proud of both of you guys for actually, you know, putting, uh, there was probably a moment when you decided to do the Acres of Diamonds together that both of you were waiting for the other one to say, okay, we're not doing this, or waiting for one of you not to show up on Sunday. And I'm really proud that you both did it because... I think it's a great example and great testament to, you know, what can be done if a couple of people believe in each other, right? Because there's mutual respect and mutual belief in each other that, that actually allowed you guys to do this. So that's spectacular. Thanks. Congratulations. Thank you very much. And that, I, I had thought that you were going to work yourself from two jobs down to one job, but apparently the work <laughs> ethic took over. Now you're doing three jobs. Um, I know. I'm being yelled at by plenty of people about it. Too. But is that's it awesome. fewer hours? Yes. So it's fewer hours, and it's... Isn't um, that incredible? She went from, from two jobs right. working, what was it, like 70, 80 a week? Yeah, it was about 70. Like 70 hours a week right. to three jobs with less hours. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that's awesome. Yeah. So, what, so More money, someday, too. someday DJ mm -hmm. and I are also going to put together a financial module, and we're going <laughs> to talk to you about now to make sure, maybe we'll do this offline, to make sure you're taking your newfound wealth and, and using it correctly. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and making sure you're investing in yourself that way. Yes, I'm yeah. big on that. So Good. I'm open to that. Yeah, I, I would think you're a pretty emotionally mature person. I mean, your emotional intelligence, the empathetic leader. I mean, mm -hmm. you've, you've said a couple of things that have really surprised us. And yeah. that's indicative of someone that's pretty, pretty mature in probably all aspects of their life. So mm -hmm. thank you. That's spectacular. Um, so what else? What, what else do we want to touch on here, DJ? What else do we want to touch on? I would say the, uh, I think the whole journey of like Annie two months ago to Annie now mm -hmm. is something that can be um, created again. I think that is, that's, I think that's what I want to see people who are involved with this program. That's the result that I want to see. Like I want to see, like when I read a reflection, the end of it was, you know, I, booked a trip to Cancun without even thinking about the cost. I My pay increased by a, a decent amount of money. At, at our age, that's a decent amount of money. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I went from two jobs working 70 hours a week and making X amount of money to working three jobs, less hours, making more money. Mm -hmm. And so all of these really good results that came directly from her. You know, this was not me offering her a job. This was not me buying her a trip to Cancun. Right, right. This was her doing all of this. Sure. And all all that was needed was someone to say, hey, relax, stop life real quick, and let's figure this out. 
let's do this together. I'm right here with you. And we did it together. And the stuff that I learned, and I always think, you know, who, who really got the most out of this? I think Andy got the most out of this one, but I got a ton out of this as well. I mean, just from the empathetic leader and the two or three things that we learned about, you know, it was, there was a student mentor relationship that was consistently flipping back and forth. And this success and this kind of outcome is what this program does. This type of thinking, this type of mindsets, you know, your thoughts become your things. I, I remember the one connection module we were in the corner and Annie went on two 45-minute rants where I just sat there and listened actively. And at the end, she was talking about the things she didn't have. And at the end, I go, Annie, that's all bullshit. Ooh, we don't do that. I said, Annie, that is all bullshit. <clears throat> I said, Ser- I, and I kind of got mad almost. like that was, And I was like, screw everything you just said. I was like, you're talking about the phone you don't have, the car you don't have, the house you don't have. I was like, I don't have any of that stuff either. And I can name 15 more people who don't. And I was like, and I can name a lot of people who have a lot less than that too. And so she was kind of like, you're right, you're right. And so we just dug deeper into that. And I said, name, and I think our objective for that week was name five things that you are connected to that you're happy that you have. And one of them was work ethic. One of them was loyalty. And so it was all of these, these things that weren't materialistic too, may mm-hmm. I add. Right. These were all internal skills. Right. And so we, and I did it too. I did the, uh, did the objective with her. And so at the next module, I said, look at these, all of these aspects that we're so happy that we have in our lives. You know, you didn't say, um, there's no uh, record of a phone on here. There's no record of, of a house, of a, of a car. And so we basically, you know, taught each other too, to think about the things you want because, you know, neuroscience, your neurons will literally come together. And the more you think about it, the more realistic it will actually become. Thoughts Mm -hmm. become things. And that was, I mean, that's just a great example of somebody coming into the program that necessarily says, here's a problem or, or here's something that's bothering me. And I want to find a solution to it. And we can, we can figure that out together. That's the important part. I think that the big question is, um, why do people get in that mindset? And um, when you texted me the other day and you said, you know, who do you think would be a good um, or what group of people would be a good candidate for the Acres of Diamonds program? And the first thing that I thought of were college students or recent graduates um, because no one's talking about how hard it is after college for a lot of people. I graduated uh, from RIT and I just felt suffocated by my student loans. And I was in a really anxious state for a very long time. And that is where the um, overworking part Mm -hmm. came in. And I, for about a solid two years, was in a really bad place. Because you log on to Facebook and you see that so-and-so got a job at Google and Microsoft and everything is so wonderful. And it's it's just social media can be great, but it but can you also know be that's toxic. all bullshit now, right? It's all bullshit. Yeah, so it's all bullshit. I mean, that's what people have to understand. If you go into yeah. Facebook and be intentional and deliberate to catch up on people's lives, but do not process it as real life. Because it's yeah. not. It's a snapshot in time and you're only getting the best stuff, right? Right. And the people that are posting only bad stuff, you don't want to be po- listening to that shit either, right? Mm-hmm. right. So 
Um, yeah, it's an area where we're really, and I'm glad you two have talked about the age group and demographic to, that we need to address because I, DJ and I talk about it all the time. It's epidemic, right? Mm. This, this challenge is epidemic, but I think there's real heavy bleeding, mm. right? If you look at where we prioritize, there's real heavy bleeding in that age group because yeah. you're the first age group that's really been exposed to um, the high expectations of today's culture and growing up a little bit immersed in this technology, right? So the humans don't evolve that quickly to, to evolve to what happened with the introduction of smartphones and, and internet and social media proliferation since 2007, 2008. So I think that's, DJ, probably where we're going to have to go first. Mm -hmm. And then I think acres of diamonds or something similar to acres of diamonds has to be introduced to our children in the third and fourth grade mm -hmm. so that they can be self-deterministic, self-managing and grow up to not to be victims of their lives. They can be creators of their lives, just mm -hmm. like you've, you've demonstrated as possible. Right. So Annie, thank you. Uh, thank you for that. That's yeah. pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, anything, oh, the plank, the guy that did the eight hour world record plank, right? Mm -hmm. His ex-military. Mm -hmm. George Hood, right? I, <laughs> I think so. Yeah. And his, uh, when asked how he prepared for it, two hours with a mental coach. Visualizing his success, visualizing the outcome that he wanted, mm -hmm. the visualization that he had that he was a strong, strong, strong tree with deep roots. Mm. And so I, I don't remember the whole visualization they had, but um, you know, this is a this is an inside game today, right? Mm -hmm. Life is an inside game, and we have to give people the tools to win that game. And I think Annie, you're a wonderful, wonderful example of that, and DJ. Thank you for, I, I think you're, I mean, I haven't talked to you a lot about this, but I think you're, you're becoming a very, very, very good coach um, mm -hmm. very quickly, and I think it's because you're an empathetic leader. So um, what was the other one? Emotional, uh, uh, emotional um, toughness. Emotional, emotional toughness. toughness. Yeah. I think you have emotional toughness, and I think you're a great empathetic leader. Thank you, Annie. We, you know what? We can call those Coglin's Law. So look up Coglin's Law. That's cool. Look up Coglin's Law on the movie Cocktail. Okay. And uh, this, um, these could be two new Coglin's Law. That's this awesome. Is awesome. We just made, we made a law. I like <laughs> it. All right. That's it for this one. Thank you very much, Annie Coglin. <laughs> thank and you. And DJ Ligori. I appreciate it. Awesome. All right. Thank you. See ya.